Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. In this political season, I find myself thinking about political language. I bet you do. One of my favorite political terms is the old-fashioned term leg treasurer. That's two words. Do you know it? I have no idea. Leg treasurer. Somebody who appreciates legs? Oh, no, no, no. This is somebody who absconds with government funds. It's somebody who embezzles and runs off with the money to Europe or someplace like that. And I just like it because it's descriptive, it's colorful, the idea that you're, you know, you're stuffing wads of cash in your pants and making off for the border. That's nice. That's nice. And so that's an old term. How it old is, old. is it? It's uh, over 100 years. It's old-fashioned. We don't use it anymore, but it's still got its charm. Oh, well, th- yeah, that's a weird one. I was thinking more recently of a word that we're hearing all the time in terms of politics, and that's the word ballot. Do you have any idea where that comes from? I think I do, as a matter of fact. It's originally from Italian, right? Right. The roots of this word are in 14th century Italy, where people used to cast votes by dropping a little ball into a box, say a white ball for a yes vote and a black ball for a no vote. And one of those little balls was called a ballota. You see the same idea in our verb to blackball somebody. That, that comes from dropping a black ball in a secret vote. How did the name for a ball get applied to paper? It's just the thing that you're using to cast the vote. It's kind exactly. of a transference of idea there. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, people have used all different kinds of things. In ancient Athens, they would use broken pieces of pottery to cast votes. Hmm. It sounds, uh, sounds efficient. Yeah. Yeah. Better than Chad's. Because, you know, I've been to the ruins, and there's all kind of kinds of broken pottery everywhere, so they surely had lots of it lying around. Well, how yeah. Did you, how did you prevent people from, from casting multiple votes? <laughs> That's a good question. You, I'm you sure they just, had voter fraud back in those days, too. Mm-hmm. You could just, If you were using broken pottery, you could just go and make your own new ballots. Uh, <laughs> well, that's true. And do you know the word for those little broken pieces of pottery in Shards. ancient Greek? No. What is it? Ostraca. We get the word ostracize from that because uh-huh. you would vote on whom to ostracize. Uh, who to kick off the island. Exactly. Or out of mm. the city in that case. Well, if you'd like to have your vote heard and be included rather than ostracized, call us with your questions and comments about words and how we use them. The number is 1-877-929-9673. That's 1-877-WAYWORD. Or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi. Hi, who is this? This is Karen Jensen from Indianapolis, Indiana. Well, hello, Karen. What's going on? Uh, what's going on? I have a question for you. Okay, please. I was uh, quoted in the local newspaper, the Indianapolis Star, because I used a phrase, a fish stinks from the head down. And after that quote aired, our local paper has the ability to make comments on articles. Mm-hmm. And some of the comments were very critical that I had said something so unkind, because I was talking about an organizational leader who I felt like was not the right leader for the organization, and I used that phrase to describe the problems in the organization. Mm-hmm. And I was accused of calling the leader a stinky fish, which I didn't <laughs> think is what I was doing. I thought what I was saying was 
there's a problem in the organization, you need to look to the leadership. Right. That's how so, that phrase is understood, right? Yes, that's what I thought. But I, I got a lot of criticism, and he's a very nice man, and I like him a lot, and I don't want to call him a stinky fish, and I want to make sure I don't use the phrase inappropriately. So your version of it was a fish stinks from the head down? Yes. Oh, because a slightly more common version is a fish rots from the head down. Huh. I think you should go back to that uh, comment section and just type, can you say figure of speech? I mean, it is a figure of speech. (laughs) And Karen, you're in great company. I mean, this expression has been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. You'll find variations of it in German, Hungarian, Albanian, Turkish. I've seen it in ancient Greek, in Latin. And it's, it's exactly what you're talking about, that when there's corruption or decay, it starts from the top. That's so you hear you hear lots of different versions of it. I think the question is, does a fish literally rot from the head? I don't and know. I don't know the answer to that. Do we have someone else we can ask that question of? I bet we have some people in Alaska that know fish very well. Maybe they can tell us. <laughs> There's no, we an have, idea. We, yeah, we have listeners in Alaska, and they, they'll let us know, hopefully. Well, I tell you, this question has troubled language buffs enough that some of them have asked experts in the field. I remember William Sapphire asked somebody at the Smithsonian Institution about fish and how they rot. And um, the answer was they probably don't rot from the head down. There's not that much to rot in the head. They would, it would probably start in the intestines. Uh, it really right, makes me want to get are. a fish and lay it outside and see what happens. A little, a little <laughs> scientific experiment of my own. Yeah, Karen, it really makes you want to get a fish and lay it outside and see <laughs> what happens. But the original dilemma here is that somebody misunderstood what you had to say. As Martha's rightly pointed out, they're wrong to misconstrue that. It's not a paddocks. You don't call people a fish as an insult, usually. There's one slang fish that I could think of that might be mildly insulting, and that's a, a newbie or a new person at a company or a job or on a sports team might be called a fish or in prison might be called a fish. But but that's clearly not the context here, and anybody who misunderstood that is going out of their way to misunderstand. I think you were right to use that expression. Well, that makes me feel a lot better. Excellent. I'm glad to hear that. It's sort of like the lipstick on a pig expression, isn't it? I mean, nobody's talking about literal pigs. Exactly. Exactly. I didn't think it was literal either. Right. I wouldn't have used it. Well, Karen, we got your back. (laughs) And that's good to know, because you you guys having my back is what matters. Oh, rock and roll. All right. All right. Well, we appreciate your calling. Thank you, Karen. Thank you very much. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. One thing I should have said to Karen was... uh, I know the kind of people that just write comments on the Internet without really thinking about what they're saying. Sure. And they're not to be taken seriously. I mean, that's an overgeneralization, but it's so easy to leave comments without really contemplating what you're putting in print, right? Right, absolutely. And people tend to willfully misunderstand. You know, they tend to go out of their way to find anything that you might have said that might possibly be offensive and then make a big deal out of it rather than being generous and giving you the benefit of the doubt. If you've got a question about language, drop us a line, a hook, and a sinker, and we'll try to help you out. The oh. number is one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send us an email to words at waywardradio.org. Grant, I think that was a P-U-N. Mm, and a S-T-I-N-K-Y. <laughs> Hello, you have a way with words. Hello. Hi, who's this? Hi, this is Kevin. I'm calling from Indianapolis, Indiana. Hey, Kevin. How are things in Circle City? Uh, it's rocking. It's rocking? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, what did you call us about? Well, I guess maybe it stems from some of the rock culture that I surround myself with, but uh, I'm always interested in the term dude. You know, dude and hey dude, and it's like a 
term of endearment. It's a greeting, a salutation. It's a single sentence word, and I just don't know where it came from. You mm-hmm. know? So here of a dude ranch, and so I don't know where that term ever came into being in popular culture or before then. Yeah, you're right. It's like that beer commercial where all they say is dude. <laughs> You know the one I'm a, talking about? There was a scene in Finding Nemo like that, too. The turtles did that, didn't they? Oh, I don't remember. Did Dude. they? Dude. 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 Maybe they were doing whoa, the whoa. I was like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> it was a mixture of both. <laughs> mixture of both, was it? Dude is, unfortunately, an origin, which stands for origin unknown. We do know that Dude broke onto the scene of American English in the early 1880s. In 1883, it just exploded. It shows up in newspaper after newspaper, magazine after magazine. It's, it's just one of those terms that sprang from the earth fully formed and ready to go. In January of 1883, there was a poem about the word so we know that it was common, at least in the end of 1882. There was a poem about the word, and they were kind of making fun of dudes. Dudes were dandies. Mm-hmm. These were men who dressed in the fashions of the day, just to the hilt. These days, you might call them a metrosexual, but they wore the finest clothes, the finest shoes, went to the finest restaurants, smoked the finest tobacco. They were seen as a feat and prissy. And that term, that use of dude, migrated out to the western part of the United States and quickly became used to mean people from the East or newbies from the East, people who didn't really know the ways of the West or the ways of the country or the ways of the cowboy, people who came from the big city and really just didn't get it. You know what I'm talking about? That's the Dude Ranch. That's the Dude Ranch. Mm. Exactly right. Dude Ranch shows up, though, first in the 1920s or so, so Dude Dude Ranch came much later. There are some interesting side notes to Dude. Uh, the one thing that really interests me is that we've kind of had that split where there's still a little bit of the use of dude to mean, um, how should we put this, uh, in, as in dude ranch, somebody who really isn't very countryfied. But for the most part, dude is just a normal everyday term of address. You just It's like fellow or guy or buddy or Mac or pal. You just say, hey, dude, what's up, right? Yeah. So, so it's, it's, it's really changed over the last 100 plus years. So that's a very condensed history of the word dude, but uh, it's a great multipurpose word. I've talked about this on the show before. I think you remember, Martha. It's one of those words that's contagious. If the people around you use dude, you are quickly using the word dude yourself. (laughs) Is that true for you, Kevin? Oh, oh yeah, dude. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, with the movie The Big Lebowski, that term exploded even more. You know, the dude abides. And that's a cult movie now. There are... I guess there are conferences and annual meetups and gatherings around that movie and people doing like, I don't know, what do you call those, like movie karaoke where they'll recite the lines of the movie it's playing on the screen. It's just crazy. So, And that movie is just filled with the word dude. I don't know what the incidence is, but it must be in the thousands. Dude, yeah, somebody should count them. So that's the short version, Kevin. How's that sound? Oh, that's great. It's fascinating how much it can change. Yeah, it's yeah. come such a long way. Mm-hmm, quite a long way. Well, thank you so much for your call, Kevin. Thanks, dude. <laughs> no problem, buddy. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye, dude. Bye. Martha, one stanza from that poem uh, it was in the New York World in January of 1883, and it goes, When Darwin's theory first saw light, the dude he tried to think of, but monkeys being far more bright, 
he made the missing link of. Oh, <laughs> wow. The, the whole poem was very derogatory towards the dude, the original fancy dude. Yeah. yeah. So these are sort of wannabes, cowboy yeah. wannabes. Well, think of uh, people like this day, very, very fashionable. They read the Thursday style section of the New York Times to know how to dress tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? Sure. The people who have closets full of clothes that they'll never wear again because they're simply not fashionable anymore. Those kinds of people. Dude. Men mostly. Dude were men, you know. Dudes were not women, although you will find today, just like guy and guys, you'll find women being addressed as dude these days. Yeah, I I rarely use that word. Dude? Dude. I I rarely do. I have a bad case of it. I'm I'm sorry to say. Yeah, you have the dudes. You have the dudes. (laughs) If you've got a question about the history of a word... Slang or otherwise, give us a ring, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send us an email to words at waywardradio.org. Well, wait, wait let, me, let me explain something to you. Um, I am not Mr. Lebowski. You're Mr. Lebowski. I'm the dude. So that's what you call me, you know? Uh, that or uh, his dudeness or uh, duder or, uh, you know, El Duderino, if you're not into the whole brevity thing. Uh, Are you employed, sir? Employed? <laughs> Next up on Away with Words, something puzzling this way comes. Stick around for a quiz. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. And we're joined now by our quiz guy, John Chinesky. Hi, John. Hi, Martha. Hi, Grant. How you doing? What's up, buddy? Oh, I'm just, you know, lugging these puzzles around. I'm looking for a yeah. place to put them down. Yeah. I hope this is good right here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Set a spell. quizzes, a few enigmas. You say <laughs> lugging. Are you putting them on stone tablets still? I still, I'm, you know, I'm a Luddite. I just, I don't trust these pencil things you talk of. I don't know. So, uh-huh, so. Now, now, look, I don't have a lot of time for horsing around, so I'm always looking for ways to save time. Right. Okay? Okay. Thanks for coming today. We'll see good you later. Good to see you. Adios. <laughs> All right. In that vein, I've decided that if I come across two words where the first word ends with the same sounds that the second word begins, I'll just condense them. For example, I was at a garage sale yesterday, and I purchased a pair of those metal supports you use in a hearth to keep the firewood off the floor. Mm-hmm. And my wife asked me what I bought that day, so I said, any guesses? I bought something and irons. Right. Irons What, what and else irons? did you buy? Well, they were, they were at a garage sale, so they were used. Used so and I called irons. Them, what's that? Um, <laughs> Second-hand irons. Second-hand irons. Very good. Yes. That's exactly how this works. I call this overlap-plied linguistics. So we're making blends. Yes, we're making blends. They're similar to portmanteau words, but they're... Okay. uh, Each word is there. Okay. 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 Right. Like I said, I'm in a hurry. Let's do this. All right. The the first one is a classic. In fact, if you do a web search for the combo, you'll find over 2,000 hits. I'm a big fan of the baseball team from Maryland. The team Cal Ripken played for. I call them the... Balmorials. Very good. (laughs) Balmorials. You're in in more of a hurry than I am. Oh, my gosh. Yes, the Baltimoreals. That was was actually the inspiration for this puzzle. The Baltimoreals. Okay. Here's the next. My new favorite show is a reality show where fashion designers attempt to create clothes for astronauts to wear on spacewalks. It's Uh called... America's top diaper. I don't no. know. No. 
astronauts. I'm trying to think astronauts. of words that NASA. Well, spacewalks are space yeah. Astronauts on spacewalks can be described as extravehicular activities, EVAs. You know, uh, I guess you guys don't <laughs> watch this fashion designer show where they. Um, uh, oh, pro- a project. Yeah. Project way out in space. <laughs> uh, project. Try to find a word that begins with way. I'm looking for it. Describes way... people in space. Weightless. Weight yeah. loss. Uh, weight loss. Project weight run weightless. Project run weightless or run weightlessness. Very good. <laughs> no, that's I think Project run weight Sorry. loss would be a big hit. Well, that would yeah, that would probably be uh, the biggest loser <laughs> a lot in of space. Yeah. <laughs> Since Mozart's The Marriage of Figaro is about a guy who cuts hair, I like to call it a. Or it takes place in a... Barbershopera. Barbershopera. Very good. <laughs> okay. I think you like this one. I, I like this one. Hey, have you heard about this really talented guy I know? He's the first African-American presidential candidate, and he also wrote Eine Kleine Nachtmusik. <laughs> Barack Obama... Um, Obama Deus? Obama Deus, right. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that song by Falco, uh, Barack Me Obama Deus? I used to think that was oh, Eat Me, I'm a Danish. Uh, eat Me, I'm a Danish, yeah. <laughs> Here's the next one. My kid's doctor doesn't only know medicine. She knows absolutely everything from A to Z. So we call her the... Pediatrician, know it all? Uh, no, but that's the second word. <laughs> what is? Pediatrician. Oh, second word. Um, Encyclopedia. Encyclopediatrician. Yes. Or Wikipediatrician. Or Well, that's a uh, that's somebody who thinks they know it all, but but doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> that one goes out to uh, Doctor Doctor Gillespie, the kid's encyclopediatrician. Yeah. You know, they say that the number of smiley faces you use in your lifetime is is finite, and once you run out, that's it. That's why I practice... Emoto conservation? That's it. Emoto conservation. (laughs) Right. That's pretty good, actually. Thank you. Okay, here's the last one. I was watching this old movie from 1939, and I saw a whole bunch of people worshipping this giant ape. And I thought to myself, how nice for that priest to have such a large... (laughs) Um, um, it's congregation. King the second congregation. Yes, it is. King, king congregation. Con- yes. uh, king congregation. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and that's it. Like I said, fast one in, out, boom. I'm done. Let's wow. conserve Thank space. Thank you, John. That was fantastic. That Thanks, was, guys. I hope you had a good time. Yeah, yes, colossal. As always. What, a, what a taxing one that was, though. That, yes. Wow. My brain hurts. Thank you very much. See you later. Bye-bye, See you soon. Bye bye. And if you'd like to talk with us about any aspect of language, grammar, slang, punctuation, or words and how we use them, the number to call is 1 877 929 9673. That number is 1 877 Wayward. Or send us an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Sandra Mel. I'm calling from Indianapolis, Indiana. Hi, Sandra. How are Hello, you? Sandra. I'm doing What's well. Up? Thank you. All right. What's up? I had a question about an origin of a phrase. I was wondering about hair of the dog, or sometimes you'll hear hair of the dog that bit you. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And in what context do you hear this? Well, mostly I, it's if someone has had a little too much to drink and they're, you know, hungover, uh, you'll hear someone say, 
well, how about, you know, a little hair of the dog and, mm-hmm. and offer them more alcohol. <laughs> Somehow that's supposed to make them feel better. Uh-huh, I, uh-huh. I don't understand that exactly. And um, we had been on a trip and had been bike riding, and we did the Virginia Creeper Trail in Abingdon, uh, Virginia, and I'm not much of a bike rider, and um, I was hurting for several days afterwards. When we got home, the we have an exercise bike in the living room, and my husband was like, here, why don't you get on there? That'll you know, make you feel better. And I said, oh, yeah, hair of the dog. And that's kind of how it came up, and we just were discussing what that possibly meant. If a dog did bite you <laughs> and somebody gave you some hair from that dog, I'm not sure what you'd do with it. Make a salve, you know, <laughs> the wound, or make a little voodoo dog uh, and stick pins in it to get your revenge. Or something. I mean, you know, we were just kind of kicking around yeah. ideas about what that possibly meant. So the way you used it, it was kind of like um, to get back on the horse after the horse has thrown you, right? So right. Not, well, so he was saying, shot. yeah, if I rode some more, that I would feel better. And I right. did not think that was the case. <laughs> well, the way you would use the dog hair is you would take a little bit of dog hair, some soot, and some ham fat, and then you would rub it right into the dog wound. Oh. <laughs> and that would make it better, huh? I'm, well, that's what the folk, that's what the folk remedy is. Okay. It's known in Latin. It's a no, no. Seriously, that's one of the formulas for uh, for if a dog bites you, especially in a case of rabies or hydrophobia. That was one of the folk remedies to uh, supposedly solve that. Oh, okay, for a dog bite, but for a dog bite, this expression um, in various forms, the hair of the dog or the hair of the dog that bit me goes back about four hundred and fifty years. In Latin. You will sometimes see it in the old medical manuals as crinus, yeah. canis, rabidi. Oh, there you which, go. Okay. Right, which is right. the, the, the hair, hair of the, the dog, rabid the rabid dog. dog. Yeah. Right. So, Sandra, the whole idea here is supposedly the thing that injures you is also the thing that cures you. And there might be a little bit of wisdom to this folk remedy because if you can catch a rabid dog and pluck some of its hair, then you've got a good chance of killing it so it won't bite somebody else. So there, it's, in one way, it's kind of a, a preventive measure, so much, okay. not more than it is a, a remedy. So, yeah. so it did literally mean to get some of the hair and put it on the bite and... Yep. Okay. I, I just couldn't imagine how that would possibly help, but okay. In <laughs> earlier centuries, before modern medicine came along, there were all sorts of these things that, that you would do. And well, it's interesting that it that these days you think of it usually in terms of what she was talking about in terms of a hangover, right? A Bloody Mary for mm-hmm. breakfast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's interesting how it kind of migrated just to that one specific use, right? Right. Yeah, yeah we don't we don't use it in another, another context. Right. People have been getting hung over for hundreds of years. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, that's great. Well, thank you for calling. We well, appreciate it. Well, thank you. All right. Thank you so appreciate much. Appreciate it. All Bye-bye. right. Bye-bye. Bye. Grant, I remember reading a few years ago in the Annals of Internal Medicine, they were proposing a medical term for hangover. What it, was it? It was visalgia. Oh, right. Sure. I remember that. Do you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, actually, come on. Really? I think I, have a, I might have an entry for it on my website, actually. Is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. V-E-I-S-A-L-G-I-A. It's from... I don't know if it ever took, though, but it's still in use here and there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It comes from a Norwegian word meaning uneasiness after debauchery. <laughs> and then That's the... the normal case, isn't it? Yes, exactly. <laughs> visalgia. So a little hair of the dog for your visalgia. If you've got a question about a colloquial expression that you want explained, by all means, give us a call, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. Pop us an email to words at waywardradio.org or visit us at our discussion forum at waywardradio.org slash discussion. Hi, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Daniel calling from Pittsburgh. Hi, well, Daniel. Hi, Daniel. What's going on? So um, I moved to Pittsburgh about a year ago from Chicago. 
And Pittsburgh has all these great words that I've never heard anywhere else and, and way of speaking. So I guess the most common one is uh, yins. So I'm from New York originally, and we say like yous a lot. Yous? Yous guys? Right? And it usually means two people. But here, so it's yin. So I, I understand that it means more than one person, but it's still, it's not as fluid as you. So where, where does this come from? Mm-hmm. In older forms of English, you could make plurals by attaching the suffix en, and you still see this in children and brethren, right? But we don't oh, okay. do that anymore. But there is some speculation that the yuns, um, which comes to us from Scots, actually... Um, is the inheritor of that tradition of pluralizing. It just doesn't exist in modern English, but perhaps this is a, a throwback. Oh, okay. Do you have any other examples of things you've heard there in Pittsburgh? Oh, well, there's also um, nebby, which is meant to be nosy. Mm-hmm. And my neighbor that I met, and she, she asked a couple of questions, and she said, oh, don't mind me, I'm just being nebby. And I, again, I understood what she meant. Uh-huh. But then... Because I just thought it was like a shortening of nebish, right? This Yiddish word. But then a friend of mine pointed out that actually that's not what nebish means. And I, I thought to me, I was like, yeah, that isn't what nebish means. Nebish means, you know, like meek or timid. Yeah, I think neb comes from an old word that means nose or beak. Yeah. Yeah, and it's also one that probably comes to us from either Scots English or the northern dialects of, of England. Because these are the types of people that settled in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, I, it's got, what, two rivers? The Allegheny and the... The Monagahela. I can't even say it. <laughs> yes. You're still the working Mon. on that one. The Mon, so because of it, it. Even, though it is a, a, even though it is in the center of a landlocked state, it, it still has a little bit of this kind of island. Um, how should we put this? Dialects tend to cluster in places where people tend to look inward rather than outward and tend to be have a feeling of an island mentality. Think about the island of Manhattan or the peninsula in San Francisco or... Uh, a variety of places around the world where certain kinds of features happen to the local culture because they're literally an island. But it can also happen in places where they're not, they're not literally an island. They're only like psychologically or geographically kind of separated from the surrounding area, the surrounding uh, country, state, what have you. I just think that's kind of what's happened in Pittsburgh. Okay. There's a great deal of good work that's been done about the Pittsburgh uh, language. And one of the things is at Carnegie Mellon University. It's called the Pittsburgh Speech and Society uh, they have a dictionary. They have some recordings, some podcasts. It's great stuff. We'll link to it on the website. There's more work that you can read out there. We'll try to find some of this and collect it in one place so you can go to some reliable sources that can tell you a little bit more about what you're hearing. All right? Great, great. Thank you so much for your call, Daniel. Thank you. All right, bye-bye. Uh, bye-bye. All right, bye. Yeah, let's definitely link to that site, Grant. They have recordings of people of various ages from Pittsburgh talking, mm-hmm. and they have um, little podcasts about the dialect there. It's it's fabulous. And if you go to that website, you can find out what a grinny is. Oh, what is a grinny? G-R-I-N-N-Y. You're not going to tell me? You're going to make me look it up? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll tell just you. Just you, Grant. Okay. Yeah. It's a chipmunk. A grinny? Yes. Why? Isn't that fabulous? I don't know if it's because they look like they're grinning when they have little nuts in their cheeks. I don't hmm. know. Hmm. I don't know what the origin of it is, but there are all kinds of wonderful things on that site, and we will have it on our website, which is waywardradio.org. You can always call us. The number is 1-877-929-9673, or email us. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello. You have a way with words. Hi. This is Franklin. I'm calling from Monon, Indiana. All right. What's going on, Franklin? Well, 
when I went to school up at IU Northwest in Gary, I, I heard a lot of people saying the word finna and substituting it with, like, going to do. And I was just wondering if there was an actual derivative of that slang term. Now, wait, give me an example. Like, I'm finna go to the store. Ah, okay. So that's like F-I-N-N-A. Right. Okay. Sure. That makes sense. And you say it means I'm going to do something, right? I'm about to do something? Yeah. Okay. This is a great example of a corruption of a dialect phrase that turned into a slang phrase. The original form of this is fixing to. You've probably heard that, right? Yeah. I'm fixing wife, to go to the store. That's what it meant. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's exactly where it comes from. And I've seen it in print as early as 1993. I have no doubt that Finna is one word spelled F-I-N-N-A is older than that. Another variant is Fitna, F-I-T-N-A. And you'll frequently see it uh, used in the the right, very informal writings of uh, black Americans in black speech because it's a, something particular to certain regions of the South where they used fixing to, and then over time the pronunciation kind of got mushed together. It's very similar to rendering going to as gonna. Right. Uh-huh. Or in it for isn't it? Yeah, it's something like that. How's that sound? Well, it's very interesting. Yeah, it's... My wife said it was probably fixing to. I was like, I don't know. It sounds really kind of warped from that. But so you you heard this as a university student? Uh, was it a, um, white kids, black kids, everyone? It was mostly um, black people who used it. But you know, anyone who was you know from a predominantly black area would kind of catch on and use it that way. But, yeah, it's de- it's definitely characteristic of African American vernacular English, and you will right. hear it among the speech of white Americans. But it's, it's less common there. Yeah. Well, Franklin, we're finna go. Did I say that right? <laughs> yeah, it's something All right, like that. Yeah. All right, thank All right, you so well, much for your call. Thanks for having me on the show. Sure. Super duper. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thanks. I probably sounded a little like an idiot saying that, didn't I, Grant? You're all right. <laughs> thank you. You're very generous. No, it's an interesting one. I, it is. It's usually in, in very colloquial, very or very informal language. It's not something you'll ever find in a formal letter or, or business writing or school writing. Finna. That's that's so interesting. That I mean, I'm quite familiar with fixing to, having grown up in the South. But. Well, see, that's what I was saying. That's yeah. why it, that's why it usually appears in the language of Black Americans is because it comes from the post-war migration sure. from the of the blacks to the North, and they brought a lot of that Southern language with them. Fascinating stuff. Well, if you'd like to talk with us about language, give us a call. The number is 1-877-929-9673 or send us an email. The address is words at waywardradio.org. I did not know until recently that there's a word for the phenomenon of seeing images of recognizable objects like faces in places you don't expect. You know, like when you see the Virgin Mary in a piece of toast or a mm-hmm. cloud that looks like Mr. Magoo. There's a word for that, Grant, and it's pareidolia. That's P-A-R-E-I-D-O-L-I-A. Hmm. It comes from a Greek word for image, and it's the same root that gives us idol and kaleidoscope, both of which have to do with images. And that word again for seeing the face of Elvis in your grilled cheese is pareidolia. I learned it from Dave Wilton's newsletter about language, which is called The Harmless Drudge, as you know, Grant. Mm-hmm. And I think we should put a link to that on our website. It's a really interesting article. You can find that article at waywardradio.org. And if you'd like to give us a call, the number is one 877 Coming up on Away With Words, it's our quiz about some of the oddest terms you may never have heard. Stay tuned. 
for Away With Words comes from WordSmart, the vocabulary building software. Improving your vocabulary, reading comprehension, and critical thinking skills will increase your chances for success. Learn more online at wordsmart.tv. And from iUniverse, supported self-publishing. Is there a book in you? Find out how to publish it at 1-800-AUTHORS or learn more online at iUniverse.com. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. It's time for our weekly slang challenge where we try to stump a member of the National Puzzlers League. Today's contestant is Joe Cabrera from Boston, Massachusetts. Hi, Joe. What do you do there in Boston? Um, I do um, graphic design, um, print production mainly, uh, a little programming on the side. And a little puzzling too, I guess, huh? Oh, a lot of puzzling, unfortunately. (laughs) What (laughs) do you mean, unfortunately? People give you inquisitive looks all the time? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm always on the subway with my little pad of puzzles, just slaving away, wasting, killing time. Ah, nice. Yeah. Well, Joe, we like to start by asking our contestants if they have a favorite slang term for us, speaking uh, of uh, being inquisitive. Oh, uh, yeah, actually, I do. Um, it's uh, the term a Clark Kent job. Ooh, that, what's that? Is that like your, your day job that subsidizes the night job that you really want to be doing for a living? Exactly. That's exactly what it is. Oh, how about, I've never heard that term. Where did you pick it up? Um, I heard someone using it on the Internet once, uh, and I said, oh, that's kind of interesting, and I, and I looked it up, and other people have used it. So. Oh, no kidding. So yeah. into a nearby phone booth. <laughs> are, are there still any phone booths around? Oh, good point. What, what do superheroes do now? Um, I think he just changes so super fast that it doesn't matter where he is. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, Joe, let's see how you do with our quiz. Okay. I'll give you a sentence with a blank in it with two possible answers. Only one is correct. In case you need a lifeline, Martha will be standing by to try to help you. Okay? <laughs> okay. All right. Let's see how we do. Here's the first one. Mm-hmm. Whoa. She kicked him right in the blank so hard that he almost vomited. Is it A, prosciutto, or B, labanza? That's L-A-B-O-N-Z-A. And prosciutto is P-R-O-S-C-I-U-T-T-O. Hmm. Those are my two choices. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's it. I'm going to oh, go, my. hmm. I'm, I've heard this one before, so I'm going to go with labanza. Oh, yeah? Why bread is that? Basket. The bread basket. The, the belly, the paunch? Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm guessing. That's what no, I'm guessing you're, where it is. you're absolutely right. And do you have any idea where that comes from? La Banza. It sounds Italian. I yeah, no there idea. we go. Is you're it? it. I had, I'm not familiar it, it, with it. Yeah, it probably comes from the Italian term la pancia, L-A-P-A-N-C-I-A, which is the paunch. Sure, oh. like pancia in uh, so, Spanish. So o- occasionally it's been used to mean the buttocks, but that's rarer. Usually, yeah, usually it means the belly in English. It's kind of a tougher so, target to hit, too. Yeah. So, whoa, <laughs> she kicked him right in the labanza so hard that he almost vomited. That means she kicked him right in the gut. Uh, ouch, ouch. Yes. All right, so let's try another one. This is the other one. Okay. Kind of not feeling well. Bad case of the blank. Maker's Mark takes its toll. So what do I have a bad case of? Is it the Woefit, W-O-E-F-I-T-S, or the Moosetand, M-O-O-S-E hyphen T-A-N-N-E-D? Can you read that? (laughs) Sure. Yeah, read that off one more time. Kind of not feeling well. Bad case of the blank. 
maker's mark really takes its toll. And the two choices again are? Wofits and Moostand. Wofits and Moostand. Hmm, so, Joe, are you familiar with Maker's Mark? No. Ah. Oh, oh so uh, I could substitute Southern Comfort or Jameson's or Jägermeister in there. Ah, we're talking. We're talking about a pretty serious alcohol. We're talking yeah. about good old Kentucky bourbon is what we're talking hmm. about. All right. Let's see. Kentucky. I don't know about moose in Kentucky. Um, <laughs> no, I don't either. Well, it's just Moose? an alcohol. Moose? Don't yeah, don't read too much into that. Okay. Hmm. Um, that might make I, you feel not well. I kind of like woe fits. That, that's a nice. It's, it's it's a nice little combination of of misery and and just like a and a some physical reaction. Oh, so yeah. right, you're having woe and you're having some fits. Yeah, that sounds like a good description of a hangover to me. Right, it's an, and it's exactly right, Joe. That's exactly it. It is All woe right, fits. Joe. Sometimes oh. it's spelled and said as woo fits, W O O F I T S, and it just means a hangover. Oh, it's almost like a Captain Jammer. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, there we exactly. go. Exactly. Beautiful, Joe. That's two for two. You're a superhero. Awesome. You can. <laughs> good. I like comic books, so that's good for me. <laughs> nice work, Joe. Congratulations. Oh, thank you very much. Well, thank you so much, Joe. Good luck with the puzzling. Oh, thanks. It was fun. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay, see ya. Bye-bye. And if you have a question for us about words, language, grammar, slang, why not give us a call? The number's 1-877-929-9673. That's 1-877-WAYWORD. Or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Jenny from New York. Hiya, Jenny. How are you? Hello, Jenny. I'm excellent. How are you? Doing wonderfully well. What's up? Well, um, my question is actually about my Manhattan job. I am a cheesemonger at Murray's Cheese, and we're opening up a new charcuterie store in the Grand Central Terminal, and it's called uh, Murray's Real Salami, or will be. It's opening in a couple weeks. And um, behind the counter at the the cheese shop, we're called Cheesemongers. So the idea was just to follow that form and call the people who will be working at Salami, the meatmongers. But after some Google searches, we found that it has some <laughs> rather unsavory um, connotations. Sorry, I didn't so, mean to Google there. Yeah. What should we be called? So are the, do these people have uniforms and, and little buttons that say cheesemonger? Or? No, not so much. But we do have like signs that will reference it. Um, or we can say, you know, if I'm, for instance, in the front organizing some packages and someone's asking me about particular type of cheese, I can say, oh, just, you know, ask one of our cheesemongers up at the counter. So it's not really something that's, that's going to be, you know, plastered everywhere, but we do like to have some sort of title for it. I see. Yeah. Okay. And meat, meat monger isn't going to work. There is something vaguely pornographic about that. Yes, yes. Um, I, I did a Google search and found um, a man given to wenching. To wenching. Ah, oh, okay. To wenching. So yes. salami monger isn't going to work either. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I don't think so. Okay, so and you need something completely different. People react okay to the cheesemonger? Yeah, word? they do. Like, sometimes they, they snicker, um, and they, they think it's a little funny. Um, sometimes I say I'm a cheesemongress. Um, Mongress. But, but yeah, they, they, cheesemonger is okay. Like, I think cheesemonger and fishmonger, I'm not really sure, aside from, like, warmonger, um, what other mongers still exist out there, but I think it's a common enough word that people don't get too freaked out by it. Right. right. Okay. But you need a better word for the people who work with the meat. Exactly. How about flesh trader? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, no, that doesn't work. That's, <laughs> if anything, that's worse. Okay. Um, well, you said you work for a charcuterie, right? 
Right, right. And this is the French term for a place that handles meats, deli meats, not like a butcher. It's like the specialty meats. They're all cooked and cured. Yeah, the cooked and cured, exactly. The seasoned stuff, the stuff that you would make sandwiches or crudités out of or little mm-hmm. hors d'oeuvres, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. An etymological relative of carnage and carcass, I would just throw in. But Then what about the French term, <laughs> charcutier? Well, is that too we pretentious? thought about, I don't know, because it just, another thing is um, we, we really like to, to try to avoid being pretentious. So, mm-hmm. like, we're calling it Murray's Real Salami. And we, we did, we have tossed around the idea of salumieri, mm-hmm. like the Italian one, but it just, it's such a mouthful. And also, I'm not really sure how we would do plural because it's probably, I think, salumiere is singular and then it would be salumieri, plural, or salumieris sounds weird. What so is I the word? Salumieri. Like, <laughs> okay, and so, well, so meter, meter maid spelled with an A wouldn't work. <laughs> yes. I'm leaning toward Grant's original suggestion, charcutier, right? Charcutier, yeah, that's kind of nice. It does flow rather nicely, and it would kind of balance the... I guess the country mix, since we do have things from all over the world. It's called salami, which is more of an Italian kind of thing. Charcutier. Mm-hmm. Jenny, how about meat concierge? Ooh. Meat concierge. Oh, that sounds nice. Do you think? I was just joking. <laughs> <laughs> this is harder than, than I thought. I, I do like, you know, tr- kind of trying to work with butcher and and kind of make it, you know, give it a bit more finesse um hmm. but cured meat butcher sounds a little clunky but it does kind of carry that same like i don't know rustic charm as monger you know we've given you some avenues of exploration and i would be interested to find out how this turns out and further i bet we'll get some emails from listeners and if we get something super duper we'll forward it on to you all right great wonderful thank you so much okay thank you so much, good luck okay, thank you bye If you can think of something to call someone who handles the sale and preparation of cooked and cured meats in a fancy shop, let us know. We'd love to hear about it. The number to call is 1-877-929-9673 or send us an email to words at waywardradio.org. Grant, we got an email from Wendy. She's an English teacher in Louisiana, and she had her students write an autographical poem recently. And when asked to come up with four words to describe themselves, she writes, many used random as an adjective. She says she asked her students about the meaning of random, and she looked all over online. And what she's trying to figure out is, is random a hot teen word right now? And what do they mean exactly when they use it? Well, do you use that, Martha? Do you use it that way? No. To mean Okay. Not at all. This is something that I've known about for quite a while. As far as I know, it goes back to the early 1990s, probably the mid-80s. It's one of those things that's very difficult to track because random is a fairly common word in normal usage. But among young people, and it's not a teen phenomenon so much as, I'd say, people in their teens, 20s, and 30s are probably know it best and probably use it most. And it typically means unusual or weird or odd. And there are some different context for it where its meaning can vary. You know, slang tends to be very flexible in that regard. So if I just said, um, last night I met this random dude at this bar, well, if I talk about a random dude, I mean that he was odd and he probably talked to me in a way that you wouldn't talk to strangers or he behaved in a way that really wasn't normal. So I'm actually, it's kind of derogatory. But if I describe myself as being random, or if you say something to me and say, well, that's random, what I just mean is, 
that's weird. Maybe it's a non sequitur. Maybe it's um, abnormal for you to say. It's out of the ordinary for someone to say. So weird or odd generally will cover most of the bases. Well, that's interesting that all these students are describing themselves as random. You can see how a teenager might not want to be perceived as knowable, right? Teenagers want to think of themselves as a bit of a mystery, maybe think of themselves as being complex. And so if mm-hmm. you describe yourself as random, that means that you're, you're not a simpleton. Huh. So this word ended up evolving without my noticing. Yeah. Where did it come from? I think it's a perfectly normal outgrowth of the the regular meaning of random. If you think of random behavior, it Mm -hmm. can kind of go both ways. Random behavior is odd or unexpected behavior. And then if you use it more and more, the idea that it's odd and exclusively odd or exclusively weird tends to take hold. So. I've heard teenagers say, that's so random, but I had no idea that uh, you could use it in that way. Yeah, well, that's it tends not to be the, the straight-up meaning of random when they use it that way, although in your mind you might be able to make it work. So, yeah, random. I'm not surprised. You haven't heard of it, Martha. It's definitely a word for, no offense attended, the younger set. It's pretty common. Most young people in high school are going to know it. Uh, the only reason I probably know it at my age is because I study slang for a living, belong to a specific group, and we're not a part of it. You're such a random guy, Grant. Thank you, doll. So are you. <laughs> We'll take any random caller. The number's one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or email us. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Hi, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Terry from Kenosha, Wisconsin. Hi, Terry. What's going on? Well, uh, a little, uh, I guess, conundrum we had um, solving a statistics problem in our decision sciences class. My professor had asked. We were we were dealing with a problem on the probability that the Cubs would win the playoffs. And uh, the question came up where the word rooting came from, because apparently in Australia, where he's from, that means that um, if you are rooting for a team, that would mean that you were having sex with a member of that team. (laughs) (laughs) Ah. So your question then is, what is the deal with these different roots, right? Right. What's the root of root? Right, and and you know it's funny because I looked at on the internet, and of course you know you can find everything about etymology when you're looking for the word root, but it's very difficult to find the etymology on the word root. <laughs> you're exactly right. You're exactly right. Yeah, as far as I can tell, the root in terms of rooting for a team somehow is related to the idea of swine rooting for something in the soil, and. I'm not really sure of the connection except that uh, it's a noisy affair and you hear little moans of pleasure <laughs> when they find the things. So you're saying that the, the kind of rooting that animals do when, they're, say, pigs are looking for acorns or, or that sort of thing, their nose is to the ground and they're looking for food. Yeah, very, very enthusiastically and noisily. Right. So that's that's more or less how we get the rooting for the home team? That's my suspicion. But it, but as Terry said, it's it's hard to sort out all those roots of root. Do you yeah, have a different theory? Well, so there's, uh, I think there are two roots that we're talking about here with different roots, so to speak, different word origins, right? So one of the roots has, the root, say, on a plant has to come from, it comes from the Latin, radix, R-A-D-I-X, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. But the Australian root, which means to have sex more or less, it's almost always used by men in reference to having sex with somebody else or wanting to have sex with someone else. And it comes from a much older noun form of root, in which which means penis. And as you probably know, as an adult woman, and we're not going to giggle about this, but 
the language is just filled with synonyms for the sexual organs, and that's just one of many of okay. them. So, well, and it, it still doesn't quite say. Well, where does it? You know, where does that word "rooting for the home team"? You know, it, when it's when it's used as a fan. Most etymologies are kind of mysterious, but as Martha was saying, it probably comes from a, a, a fanatic, which is the original form of the word "fan" for a team, is very aggressive and very crazy and very crazed. And they look. Have you ever seen a pig root for acorns? It's not a passive affair. It's almost violent. A pig, a pig will knock you down and eat your arm on the way to getting acorns out of okay. from under the from under the you know the the must the layer of um, leaves and bracken and whatever else is on the ground. Great, that was very beautifully said. <laughs> well, I've you seen. Have, I was going to say, seen, do you have seen, a close and I've, personal experience I with have this? Very much so. I remember. I remember we had a, a gigantic oak tree in the yard of one of the houses we lived in. We had some pigs in the back. And it was massive. It took two or three of us children to put our arms around it. And the acorns that it dropped were uh, just a little smaller than limes. They were, they were pretty big around. And so our father would have us collect those and take them out back to the hogs and dump them in the trough. And, and you, I don't know, you'd have thought you were putting um, their favorite drug in there. It, they were crazy for acorns. And so, and, and they would just, they would knock the trough over looking for that one last bit of acorn that might have fallen out. So, oh my gosh, so well, that sounds could, like Cubs fans. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah exactly. That I, sounds just, a lot like Cubs fans. <laughs> well, yeah, think about the crazy guys with the colored hair and the painted chest and who are shouting into their horse, right? I mean, Absolutely. that is the kind of enthusiasm that we're talking about here. So I could see how that might. I mean, this is guesswork still because, like most words, we're not 100% sure that's what it means, but the, there is, we can see in our minds how the connection might exist, right? Right. Yeah, it works for well, me. Good. Maybe I'll maybe I'll get some extra credit for uh, finding out the answer to that one. <laughs> I hope so. Let us know. Okay. Take care. Thank you. If you've got a question about something that's confusing, if you'd like us to help you separate the different Englishes in your mind, by all means, send us an email to words at waywardradio.org. Give us a call to one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three or. Drop a line on the discussion forum at waywardradio.org slash discussion. That's our show for this week. If you didn't get on the air today, you can always leave us a message anytime, day or night. Call 1-877-929-9673. You can also email your questions to words at waywardradio.org or join in the conversation with your fellow word lovers right now on our discussion forum. That's at waywardradio.org slash discussion. Stephanie Levine is our senior producer. Our technical director and editor is Tim Felton. Tim also engineered our theme music. Kurt Conan produced it. We've had production help this week from Michael Bagdasian. From the Argo Network in New York City, I'm Grant Barrett. And from Studio West in San Diego, I'm Martha Barnett. Later. Ciao. Oh, if we call the whole thing off, then we must call. And oh, if we ever part, that would break my heart. So I say, Erster, you say, Oyster. I'm not gonna stop eating Ersters just cause you say, Oysters. Let's call the whole thing off.